Demons can sometimes use objects as conduits to achieve their desired goal. Their desired goal? Our souls, John. It wants her soul. No, no, no. Demons can't just take souls, Mia. The soul needs to be offered to the demon before it can take it. Welcome to Now Playing's The Conjuring Retrospective Series. It scares us just thinking about it. When you hear it, you're gonna think we're insane. Hosted by Marjorie. I'm gonna get you now. I can hear you breathing. Arnie. Oh my god. It's standing right behind you. And Stuart. God brought us together for a reason. This is it. This review will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, go ahead. Where do I start? From the first occurrence. Today we're discussing Annabelle Creation. Starring Stephanie Sigman, Talitha Bateman, Anthony LaPaglia, Miranda Otto. Directed by David F. Sandberg. You know that presence you feel but can't see? That evil one? It's me, Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. You found me. It's Stuart. And this is Marjorie. Welcome back to the Conjuring series, the series that will never, ever end. (laughs) You know, we hold up our red arrows like crucifixes, right? No more! This has to be the last. And yet, no, this is an extremely popular franchise that all three of us have just stood on the opposite minority opinion of. Yeah, I went back, I did not rewatch the two Conjuring films, I'll have to do that whenever Conjuring 3 comes, but in having conversations with both of you, I remembered I couldn't recall a single thing about Annabelle other than what the doll looked like. (laughs) Every time I said, does this plot point happen in Annabelle, I was thinking of Insidious 3. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, I kept telling you, no, 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 that was the better movie. I thought Insidious 3 was almost a recommend, but Annabelle, this was a stinker I felt like everyone agreed on. They wouldn't make another Annabelle movie, they might make more Conjuring spinoffs. But yeah, three years ago, this thing stunk up the screen, I thought everyone agreed Other than maybe the first 10 minutes, it was a bad film. Yeah, I don't understand why we've had these continuing. Maybe it's just a scary doll, but I know we'll talk a little bit about the theater experience that we had when we get into it, but I had some people that I'm pretty sure had never seen a horror movie in their life. (laughs) But these films make money hand over fist. They cost virtually nothing. This movie that we're reviewing today cost 15 million it's expected to triple its budget opening weekend so that's why they keep making them as for annabelle i did go back i rewatched it and then i re-listened to all three of our conjuring reviews and you know the first 15 to 30 minutes of annabelle i'm like wow my memory was just complete dislike for this film but the opening with the hippie murders and everything it got me again it was like seeing the movie for the first time because i remembered so little of it (laughs) and then i listened to our show and i'm like oh yeah i liked that then too i mean re-listening to all our shows I think I would have considered the first Annabelle the best of the Conjuring series, even though I didn't like it either. Wow. No, for me, it was the low point for sure. And I didn't go back to any of them because I thought it would help this movie. Whenever I'm not liking a series, I think it's best to forget what I've seen before 
and approach the new one as if it is a new thing. What I did go see was Lights Out, which is the first film by the new director coming on board here. David Sandberg made first an internet short that went viral and got him a feature-length expansion. It's a great gimmick. It's an okay feature film. I think, honestly, the thing to see is the two and a half minute short. Did you guys see that? Here's the thing with Lights Out is it came out about the same time as Don't Breathe. And so I kept thinking I wanted to see Lights Out because Don't Breathe took place in the dark. And then I realized, oh, wait, Lights Out looks like the less interesting. So strong recommend for Don't Breathe. But I never did see Lights Out. Should I? Um, The short. Yeah, the two and a half minute thing. Don't Breathe should be called Lights Out and Lights Out should be called spooky dark man or something i don't know but (laughs) the lights out trailer had about as much appeal to me as a trailer i saw for this movie friend request can we just review friend request without ever seeing the movie can we just do a podcast on how bad that trailer is (laughs) uh yeah i mean but it speaks for itself i don't think anyone needs it for us to underline how bad horror movies have gotten when they've appealed to youth groups that are into social media unfriended was a really terrible film as well it doesn't play well i think they're wise if they're going to shoot for a young-aged horror movie, they're wise to go for a different time period where they weren't looking at their phones all the time. And that's the case here with Annabelle Creation. I came into this movie knowing nothing. Honestly, we've been going to theaters, it seems, virtually every week for now playing. I'm kind of enjoying it. I'm enjoying all the new movies we get to watch versus a lot that sometimes I've seen before and didn't enjoy. By the same token, it means that I'm looking forward to the next movie a little less. I'm just like, what's the next movie we're doing a weekend of release review on? And so I came in a complete blank. But the one thing I did know is this was rated R, yet another Conjuring film rated R for horror. I've seen it twice now. I saw it once with each of my co-hosts. Thursday night, Marjorie was out of town on work. And so Stuart and I went to the theater Then Friday night, Marjorie was back, and Marjorie and I went to the theaters. It was more crowded Friday than Thursday. The Friday night crowd, it was both more fun and more annoying. The Thursday night crowd was mostly older people who sat there quietly, maybe a little titter of laughter here and there. The Friday night crowd, oh my god, there were two girls in front of me, maybe 19, who literally screamed in terror and held each other and shivered in fright the whole movie. The ones in front of me was like an older lady and her mom. And every time somebody would jump, they'd go, Oh, look at that. Oh my God. The problem is this movie is very quiet. The sound design has so much silence in it that you can hear everything going on in your audience. Slurping from straws, dropping of (laughs) cell phones. I was very aware. Sometimes it wasn't clear to me what was happening inside our audience and what was happening coming off the screen. The funniest point is when I think you were looking at the wall because... The first night, we saw it in the theater that was next door to the IMAX, and Dunkirk was so completely audible through the wall. The booms, the music. When we saw it the second night, it was one theater over, and I didn't have that problem. Let me ask you guys then, because I only saw it Friday night. You guys saw it Thursday. I don't know if it was the tweens behind me, but was there any noise of, like, constant little, like, people talking really low? Yes. 
Okay. Yes, the audience was constantly talking throughout it. My chair kept getting kicked. At every jump scare, I felt like I was bracing, not from what was coming at me from the screen, but what was coming at me from behind. (laughs) That's right. There were like six college students behind us, and during one jump scare, the entire rope we were in tilted forward like a Disney ride. Yeah, it's like those D-box theater seats. I guess I didn't have to pay the extra $10 for the experience of being shook and rattled at every big noise. But did you guys see every single jump scare coming, right? You did, right? Not everyone. But just about. Well, I think jump scares is what this is going to excel about. We've always talked about the fact that this Conjuring series is not about bloodletting. And it surprises me. This is an R-rated movie, Arnie? You said this is R-rated? Yeah, Fourth of four, rated R for horror, violence, and terror. For terror. Okay, well, um, yes, and that, that would be the point. Jump scares and suspense, old-fashioned horror. This is not about gore. This is not about bloodletting. Even that first Annabelle movie opened with a big graphic knifing that had, you know, blood streaming all over the walls. And here... You may be able to see the jump scares coming, but there's so many of them. I mean, this is a movie more than any I can think of about jump scares. Well, there is a woman sawed in half and you see her entrails. I mean, that was R-rated gore. Okay, but it was really dark and really brief. Yeah, but I think just that one shot would be enough to push it past PG-13. Wow, that surprises me because I think that this is more than any horror movie I can think of. One for the 13-year-olds. Well, there were a couple 13-year-olds in our Friday night showing, my God, did they not shut up. Every single person in like three rows asked them to shut up, shut the fuck up, as the guy behind me phrased it, and they didn't, and God. It was reminding me why I wish (laughs) direct-to-video was same-day theatrical these days, because it was not a pleasant audience Friday night. No, it was mostly the two young kids and they were not old enough to be seeing this movie by themselves if mom was there she didn't want to sit with them and that was a good choice on her part because they would not shut up i was almost to the point because i was gonna go on my third really loud and really terse i was almost to the point of turning around and just saying you need to shut the f up you know but here's the thing I, i hear what you're saying is as someone that wants to experience the movie As the director intended, yes, I want to experience it in a vacuum and get all that the movie is giving me and not be distracted. But in a series that I haven't cared about, and I have not cared enough to go back to The Conjuring, I don't necessarily want any more. I didn't want to walk into this movie theater. I actually do wish I had my kids. I wish I had my imaginary children I pull out whenever I have to watch Turtles or any of those things, because I think it would be fun to watch kids experience one of their first horror movies in a in a movie theater. I think this would be a good one to take them. That was eye-opening for me. As the two girls in front of me and the two tweens behind us, it did allow me to experience this film from the point of view of somebody who hasn't seen much horror before. Because like you said, Marjorie, I know the rules. I'm sitting there, I'm counting the beats, and then the jump scares happen. And the only time they extend it or don't play by the rules is when I jumped in this film. I did jump a few times in this, but the people around me who weren't as savvy, I mean, it really was stereotypical, the two girls in front of me. I've never actually seen people huddle together in fright in a movie theater the way that it was portrayed in the 80s that you take a girl to a horror movie on a date because she'll cuddle up close to you and... Thriller! Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So... 
to see that actually occur in front of me and to hear the audience reactions let me know when I should have been scared. Yeah, I definitely think it's for a new generation and that is how I'm approaching that. That's how through the eyes I'm trying to see. I mean, obviously with a cast list where almost all the stars on screen are 15 years or younger, that's who it's made for. Did you guys feel that maybe the jump scares could have benefited from being in a 3D environment because a lot of them were in your face? Like maybe they abandoned it? Well, one thing I would say is they have a lot of money on this movie, and that surprised me. And Annabelle 2, I would think, would be something they'd consider like one week run and then dumping it straight to VOD the next week. But they have a lot of money. They could have made it 3D if they wanted to. I think that there's a lot of camera tricks in this. I think we see a lot of fluid camera moves that move throughout a very big set and spin around and do all kinds of tricks. Yeah, I think that that could have been enhanced in 3D. But I think this is such a visual film that you don't need the extra gimmick to get into the visuals. Yeah, I tend to agree. It might have added a little something, but by the same token, so often when they try to use 3D for scares, it doesn't work that I'm fine with the death of 3D, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Lights Out, again, not a a favorite of mine, but it was a big hit, and he did master, particularly in that two-and-a-half-minute short, better than the theatrical film. Go see that. I recommend the short. You know, he really did master what it is to do something with a gimmick. You know, you turn the lights off, we see a silhouette, turn them on, it's gone. He plays with that for two minutes, and he can really get you... In that moment, can he sustain a feature was what I was wondering. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot and we'll see if there's anything to Annabelle creation. All right. I had to do math for this. So one of a (laughs) hundred. It's the year 1945 when the film begins. Oh, okay. And we see Samuel Mullins, a doll maker played by Anthony LaPaglia. He's building one of his handcrafted porcelain dolls the one we would come to know as Annabelle. But one day, coming home from church, he gets a flat tire. When his daughter, who they call B, Not Beyonce. (laughs) Goes into the road to get a dropped bolt, she's hit by a car and killed. So we jump 12 years later to 1957. The Mullins still live out on their farm. Samuel seems not to be making dolls anymore. And his wife Esther, played by Miranda Otto, is now mysteriously bedridden. But the Mullins have opened their home to become an orphanage for six parentless girls cared for by Sister Charlotte, played by Stephanie Sigmund. The home seems perfect for the orphans, even having a motorized chair up the stairs, so little Janice, played by Talitha Bateman, can ascend even though she has a leg damaged by polio. But once in the house, Janice starts to hear and see strange things. She follows the sounds into the room that used to be Bee's bedroom a room Samuel Mullins had stated was explicitly off-limits. In the room, she finds the doll Annabelle locked in a closet that has pages from the Bible glued to all the walls. Some of the other girls also see and hear strange things, but it's mostly ignored by all but Janice and her best friend Linda, played by Lulu Wilson. Things escalate, though. By disturbing Annabelle, Janice released a demon that torments the little girl and drops her from the second story, making it so Janice may never walk again. The demon then possesses little Janice, and the girl demon can now walk just fine. Now in a body, the demon kills Samuel Mullins. Sister Charlotte confronts the bedridden Esther, who reveals the backstory. After their daughter's death, 
Samuel prayed to whatever deities would return their beloved daughter, Annabelle, like we didn't get that, that was what the B stood for, to them. They think they succeeded as they started to see ghostly glimpses of their daughter, and it begged them to let it possess the doll. The Mullins agreed, but it wasn't Annabelle back from the grave. It was a horned demon who started to torment them. It even attacked Esther, trying to possess the woman, but Esther fought it off, losing half her face in the process. A priest came and blessed the house, and they trapped the doll in the closet, and no hauntings had occurred in the past dozen years. But now the demon is loose in Janice's body. It cuts Esther in half and then tries to kill Linda. Sister Charlotte gets the other four girls to safety and goes back for Linda and Janice. She rescues Linda and traps Janice in the closet, but the demon escapes, breaking out through the closet's back wall. The police come and Janice is gone, but we cut to a short time later and Janice is in another orphanage. She gives her name as Annabelle as she is adopted by nice couple Sharon and Pete Higgins. We then jump 12 more years to 1969, and Annabelle Janice has grown up and returned to the Higgins home to kill her parents, the murder that opened the previous Annabelle film. We see the Higgins neighbors Mia and John react to the Higgins screams as Annabelle and her boyfriend break into their house and credits roll. Now, my memories of Annabelle were pretty hazy. Like I said, I didn't go back. I didn't want to go back. I didn't think that would be helpful for this film. But definitely, I think one of the things you carry over from the entire series, I think they've done it in all of them, are games, right? Find me. Putting the slip of paper under a door and having that be a hide-and-seek game in which someone, you know, gets to a jump scare is, I think, a device that has been good for the Conjuring series. And so it was smart of them to begin this whole movie. I felt like it was the Depression era was what I was getting the vibe of. And it made me wonder... If nobody's got any money, how does a doll maker have a such a smoked house that like he can live just him and his wife and one child in this enormous house? I got to say the best character in the entire movie is this set. I had to go look it up. And indeed, they built this. This wasn't just like a sound studio. We'll build one room and we'll shoot there for a day and then we'll go to another set and do the upstairs. They actually built this entire house like a dollhouse inside a sound studio and therefore they can do all these cool moves with a single tracking camera shot they may have built the inside but that outside i saw a lot when i watched westworld on hbo i knew that house <laughs> oh is it the same one yeah. yeah i'm talking strictly about the interiors which is the cool part i think that Stuart, you may have thought it was very depression area because everything was freaking dusty like, I kept thinking of Dust Bowl, Kansas. Mm -hmm. Now, they didn't say where it was. I assume it was California, which some of the areas, you know, you get outside of the coast, it is very desert-like and dusty and things like that. But it did very much have a Grapes of Wrath feel. Yeah. I was wondering where this was. It definitely felt sparse and desert-like. I'm guessing California or thereabouts because the first Annabelle movie did take place near Pasadena. And given that Annabelle at the end of this is adopted by the Higgins, I didn't think she walked several states. But it didn't feel like how I think of California, you know, with the huge open areas. This felt more like where you'd set a Children of the Corn film than a Conjuring film. Yeah. I, honestly, the place I was thinking about was Spain, just because I'm familiar with the Spanish horror movies of the last decade or so. 
and they always have this gothic feel. I've appreciated it because they don't go for bloodletting and the traditional American horror movies. They're much more about atmosphere. They feel like old black and white Hollywood movies. I'm talking about movies like if you saw The Others with Nicole Kidman or Devil's Backbone. It was a Guillermo del Toro movie or The Orphanage, big hit in Spain. Devil's Backbone's in our book. Yeah. I was definitely getting that vibe watching this movie. They were going for something that was kind of un-American. But they don't spend a whole lot of time in this early bit. I mean, we see the father make Annabelle, and I was getting a flashback again to the Child's Play series, which they do not want the Annabelle to be Child's Play. The director was pretty much given a mandate. Annabelle can't move. You can't move her. You can't puppet her. You can't have her attack people. That was a limitation here. He kind of wanted to do that, but that's why he had to do the sheet scare and things. You can't see Annabelle walk, but you can put a sheet under it and imply Annabelle is walking. It begs the question why the demon would want a body then. Well, because it can't move in the doll, because the doll can't move. No, I'm saying, but it wanted to be in the doll. We'll find out eventually it has to be in the doll. It sounds like it's more powerful when it's not in one centralized location. Yeah, it's weird. It's almost like... It had to go to the doll before it could go to a human. I don't know. Maybe it it doesn't make a lot of sense, but... We'll get into the backstory. I think we should follow the movie as it unveils. It's the big surprise, quote unquote, what has happened. But they kind of leave us on a jump scare. This is a nice family who has made its living making these ugly dolls in limited edition that makes them valuable. I guess that's how they afford that cool house. These dolls were very representative of the time period of the 40s, and they were coveted. If you think about it, we just came off the Depression. We've got World War II happening, which wasn't alluded to here, and you'd kind of think maybe it would. You didn't see any of the rationing or anything that went on, and these are very representative of the time, and terribly frightening thing is I had an elderly neighbor who collected these type of dolls as well as vintage Barbies. Her house was a house of horrors because these dolls have really freaky faces and really freaky eyes. My grandmother collected these porcelain dolls and when she passed on, each of her Honestly, it's like 87 grandchildren. Yeah, I got a big extended family. Got one of the dolls. She had almost exactly a hundred of the dolls. So they went to each of her children, the children's spouses and the grandchildren. I looked once at that creepy ass thing and sold it. I'm like, that thing is going to haunt me. Yeah, and that works to this movie's favor. If it's going to be set in the past, yeah, it feels time period but it's something that we'd like to keep in the past let's let's not bring this back this is i predict is never going to be a new trend of making young children fall in love with this kind of doll it's kind of like clowns horror movies have ruined them at this point we just don't want them around children but the point is they can live in this nice house with these dolls but they don't have a nice car because it breaks down and that's what gives us our first big jump scare and what cost B her life didn't you guys see this coming i mean come on there was one shot of the car way down in the distance and i'm like okay they're gonna kill her but here's the thing that made me not think it i don't know anything about this movie i saw a couple trailers but not enough to piece it together i thought we were seeing the couple and the child that was going to be terrified in this film. Our last Annabelle film was about a couple and their single child, so I didn't know we were going to jump forward into the future. This is so much foreshadowing in this scene alone. 
And then if you add in all the other scenes where the dad, you know, is chasing the daughter and they have the little scare thing that was a callback to the other movie with the little notes and things like that with the car off in the distance, the very first shot of that car, and then they pan to the girl on the side of the road. I'm like, oh, she's going to get hit by the car. Uh, I knew she was going to die. I knew that this was paving the way. I think that it told me in a trailer. I'd seen a trailer where they said we gave it permission to go into the doll. They kind of spoiled the surprise an hour before we get it. So I had a feeling like the child died and like the monkey's paw, the old ghost story, this couple would ask for her return and make a Faustian bargain. But did I know that it was going to play out in exactly this way? I would say it's still a pretty good jump. It's still squirm-inducing when you see a child out of her own good heart wanting to go grab that lug nut and then right in front of the path of a moving vehicle. I'll give the film that when she goes out in front of the car and that car is moving so fast, it cuts just before the car hits her. But that's well done because... In my own mind, I picture her just flying, and then they cut to a porcelain doll falling, and I caught this on the second viewing, that porcelain doll falls and her face is shattered. The missing piece of the face is the exact same as what will be missing from Esther's face later in the film. Yeah, and that is because we cut away and we don't get the rest of the story right now. You do wonder, well, did the mom like run out there too and get hit? Or, you know, they will build such a mystery about this entire family because they will jump 12 years into the future. It probably was good to create some kind of questions about the Mullins in this way by leaving their story half told and then moving on to our real main characters, the orphans. Yeah, I don't know if anybody in the world, honestly, remembers the TV series Rags to Riches. No. Mm -mm. It was an Annie ripoff that was from the 80s on NBC. When Annie came out in theaters, NBC decided, well, if one orphan is good, six orphans is better. And it's set in, like, the 60s of six orphan girls who move in with a very rich Joe Bologna. So I'm seeing this movie with six orphan girls moving into this big home in the 50s or <laughs> 60s. And I'm like, wow, they made a big screen TV adaptation of Rags to Riches. When do they do a musical number? But I think they did too many girls here. There's six girls of varying ages. I don't know if when you're a late teen, you're actually still considered an orphan or if you're just never going to have parents. I think at a certain point that even the orphanage cuts you loose. I mean, who's going to adopt a 17-year-old unless they're maybe looking for a future wife? <laughs> you're right. And in that time period, that was mirroring age. But yes. I think the reason to do it, not to say that this movie takes full advantage of it, is it gives you a whole wide array of girlhood from what our main characters are going to be. I'm going to argue that Janice and Linda are the focal points. We also have girls that are a little bit older than them that are thinking about boys. There's an extra white girl named Tyranny, token black girl named Kate. They don't really do anything, but they're sort of caught in between pre-adolescence and where the other two girls are, Carol and Nancy. I thought the character development, which I didn't expect very much of for the other girls, was so poor that the only two that stuck out were the ones Kate and Tierney, because I know somebody with that name, and that's her actual first and last name. Everyone else, it took 
a while into the movie to even get their name. And honestly, they didn't even matter what the two older girls, because they were so bland and very similar. One of them looked like a Kardashian. I don't know when that look was big in the 50s. And she was the bitchier one. But yeah, it on two viewings, I still can't often tell them apart. Yeah, I think you might be on to something with that Kardashians, because I think young girls do look up to them. And it's interesting, if this were a movie about coming of age and puberty and adolescence and maybe, you know, attraction to boys was part of the influence of demonic possession, then I think that that would be a good reason to include all these age brackets. And we could see how they all deal with the demon. But unfortunately, definitely the two in the middle, Tyranny and Kate, they just do not matter. And this is not a slasher movie, so it's not about getting kills in either. Which is a shame, because I saw these six, and I'm like, especially with the bitchy older ones, I'm like, yes, body count. (laughs) But I mean, again, I think exploring girlhood is always interesting. When you look at Guillermo del Toro movies, you know, Pan's Labyrinth, it's about many things and coming of age is one of them. He uses fantasy, I think, in the proper way to talk about things that we all know and experience. And here, I think it's just to add some variance that they could have just made it these two. Honestly, it could just be about the girl with polio who is inseparable from her friend Linda, but then you wouldn't have anyone to oppress them. The other girls kind of shun them. And so they're kind of isolated. And I got that. And I understand that it would be weirder for an orphanage to only have two kids it adds a little bit of verisimilitude that there's six girls going in there it also adds a little bit of mystery because at the beginning i'm trying to figure out who will be the most terrified i mean i know we focus very much on the bus going to the mullins on janice and linda but there's so many other girls i expect them to be developed but literally no kate and tierney are so minor. And really, I didn't understand why Tierney was there because Tierney and Linda were so close in age. They looked so close the same that sometimes I'd get confused about them and I didn't understand why the older girls accepted Tierney but didn't accept Linda. I wish this was a movie about mean girls and adolescents. You know, I'm thinking of movies from the 80s like Heathers or, you know, they're just where like we, we see the dynamics of how girls can be cruel to one another play off of that. Suspiria did a good job of that. That can be fun. But unfortunately, that's not the movie we're here to talk about. This is ultimately a story about purity getting possessed by a demon. And that's why I think it's also important that they brought along a nun. There is a Catholic figure who is guiding them, will offer confession and Sister Charlotte, I think, is also being set up for the spinoff we're going to get next year. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. But she has a photo in which she shows other sisters from Romania, and I know we're going there. Yes. It's filming right now in Romania, in fact. I was afraid of this when they're going to the Mullins. I'm like, that old couple... And as soon as we see Samuel Mullins there, he does not look happy to have those kids there. He's creepy and standoffish and grumpy and doesn't talk much. And these girls are so excited to be in the house. But I think if they're having these girls there, and later on they're going to say it's their penance, but... If he was so in love with his daughter that they have tickle fights and everything, I would have liked to see him exhibit a little bit more warmth to these girls instead of being like the creepy chainsaw killer guy (laughs) is how he acts. It was kind of a setup for a sex trafficking ring, right? 
it's gothic. To me, it feels very much in the spirit of Jane Eyre or Wuthering Heights or something where when we start, we look at the hero as being very sinister. And then over time, the main character usually falls in love with them. And they're actually a noble figure by the end of it. Uh, that's just gothic tradition. Here, I think that they would like you to believe that maybe there is something sinister that he's planning for these girls. Maybe it's going to be part of the ritual to get his daughter back to do something to these orphans. But that's a red herring. That's a mislead. And maybe they play with it too long. If I'd thought that then I would have gone with it. But the fact that I figured out their daughter was named Annabelle because they kept calling her B, and I'm like, what, B is not a real name, so what does it stand for? And because we're seeing a movie called Annabelle. But then I'm thinking, you know, this is our third Annabelle origin story. Remember in The Conjuring, we had those three nurses who said there was a spirit named Annabelle who asked if it could inhabit the doll, and they let it, and that's when the Warrens got involved. And then in the second film, Annabelle, we saw Annabelle was that hippie girl who bled on the doll. And now we're seeing this little dead girl is Annabelle, and the doll is in this house, and we saw how the doll was made. I'm like, there's just no continuity here. Fooled me, but that was my thinking at this point, and I never thought the father was going to be the evil one. Yeah, let me give the movie some credit. There's a lot of misdirects, and I think it would be hard to guess exactly where the story is going, or even necessarily who the main character was. I wasn't convinced it was going to be Linda or Janice that gets possessed. You guys have watched a lot of horror movies, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, like, was predicting this movie three beats ahead of the movie happening. Is it just I've seen too many horror movies and they didn't do anything super original? I think there's definitely originality here. I think there's misleads. They have this whole thing about this woman in the other room and what does she look like? And the older girls will talk about, ooh, Mrs. Mullins, and then a spirit will come to them as evil Mrs. Mullins. Uh, what was that all about? I mean, I don't think that that's something you would necessarily predict. No, but I didn't think that Mrs. Mullins was ever evil. For some reason, that never entered my mind. I honestly thought it was just like, a decoy because something had happened to her. She's like crippled or couldn't walk or horribly disfigured, which we did end up seeing that. But I really thought that was just kind of like a red herring taking us away from the girl with, that had the polio. Let me come down the middle here. I'll agree with Stuart that there was a lot of mystery in the parents. I'm like, what happened to her? I never thought it was something involving the car accident because that car was moving way too fast for her to have jumped in front of it to try to save her daughter. So I'm like, wait, what has happened here in the past 12 years? And I found it unique that the movie is going to show us a beginning and then jump to an ending and make the middle the mystery. And so I was finding myself asking a lot of questions. But I'll agree with Marjorie, I never thought of any of it as sinister. I thought that what happened would be related to the sinister thing, but I'd forgotten, even though I just resaw it, I'd forgotten that we're watching a Conjuring movie and it was all going to be a demon. I thought it was going to be the doll, maybe the spirit of the daughter or something, but I never thought that either Mr. or Mrs. Mullins was going to be evil or nefarious. And what do you think it would help... To not have that prologue at the beginning and have the characters discover that. What if we had just started in 1957 and the girls getting to this mysterious house and meeting all these people? You would make a lot more sinister presumptions about them. I agree. Absolutely. I think that 
the first 20 minutes of it was completely unnecessary. Well, you need to know eventually, eventually but maybe not yeah. right away. I yeah. mean, they might have shown their hand too early. Because I agree with you. It would be nice to think of these people. Because, I mean, that sounds like a horror movie. These nice people that make dolls and open their house for an orphanage are really part of a devil-worshipping cult that want to do something to them and, I don't know, do something with a doll. I mean, you can imagine that being a storyline. But because we had so much of them as loving parents to be, it's a big jump to think that they would be doing something nefarious to these girls 12 years later. Yeah, I think that's exactly why I never thought of them even as gothic. I thought of them as damaged, you know? I When he was grumpy, I got that he was probably grumpy because he'd lost his own daughter and was having memories of that by having girls around, but by the same token, he was really creepy, you know? So I knew he wasn't going to be a dangerous presence. I never thought he'd sacrifice the girls, but the girls were right to make fun of Mrs. Mullins and have that under the sheets moment of she eats you and she'll say your name until you look at her. And if you look at her, you die. And I think the reason why the spirit comes to them in that way is that it is looking for a soul. It is looking for a possession and it's been unleashed. It was lured by Janice. She was the first one to become aware of the presence in that evil room and I guess it sensed her weakness because she couldn't walk physically. The nun will later say, no, it doesn't prey upon people that are physically weak. It preys upon people that are spiritually weak. But I don't think that's true. No, I on the second viewing, really it hit home that the nun tells Janice, you're stronger than any of us, which makes me think that Janice would overcome her disability and fight the demon and show her spiritual power. No, Janice going to die. <laughs> yeah, she's the weakest. She is the weakest and partly because of all that she must have gone through that the other girls can't relate to. And just, I mean, polio was kind of contagious, right? I mean, yes. it's kind of even a big deal that she would be integrated with their community. I'll say this, though. I'm going to really credit this film. Talitha Bateman as Janice, and moment of trivia, she's the sister of Gabriel Bateman, who was the little boy Robert in the first Annabelle film. Oh, okay. Nepotism. I know her as the star of Nine Lives, a movie in which Kevin Spacey gets reincarnated as a cat. That sounds fabulous. <laughs> brown Arrow? <laughs> no, it wasn't even funny, surprisingly. Not even Litterbox Brown? <laughs> but... I think she and Linda are really incredible actresses because I don't have kids. I don't have a whole lot of fond memories of being a little kid. I found kids when I was that age to be mean. And so it wouldn't take much to turn me against this group of orphans just in total and be like, yeah, demon, eat them all. But Talitha Bateman and Lulu Wilson have a genuineness and a naturalness and acuteness that makes me really like them and root for them. They're actually two little girls who I like. If they were around in real life, I would enjoy conversing with them. And the fact that they're two against the world, they're best friends, the way they introduce it to us, we don't know that Janice has a disability, that they're just sitting on the bus saying, we're not going to be adopted unless we can be adopted together. Instantly, this movie pulls me in and makes me root for them. And honestly, I'm a hard sell for that. You know who Lulu is, don't you? 
It's the little girl from the Millers that was super smart when oh she my was. God, remember she was super tiny, and that girl could deliver like comedy lines, and just like she was really good actress in that show. She could keep up with Will Arnett as a little tiny girl. So she is maybe someone to keep an eye out for. Yeah, the Millers, for those who don't know, a very short-lived Will Arnett, J.B. Smoove, ABC series that was more amusing than it should have been. And she was the star of last year's Ouija, too, so... Which I also liked! (laughs) Yeah, so maybe she's going to make this a thing. I think she could. I think you're right to single them out. I think the acting, by far, is better than the first Annabelle movie. Adults... And kids from the last movie. I think this cast is stronger. She really wins me on the scene where the girls want to go out and explore. And little Linda's like, oh, I'll stay here with you. And the polio victim's like, don't feel sorry for me. And she's like, okay, bye. I mean, there there is something fun about that kind of tension there where they are codependent. And it is the small kids against the bigger kids. And yet Linda, because she is more mobile... She has the ability to be closer to that other group and potentially move away. And that, again, a a lonely kid with resentment seems like fair play for a demon that's trying to find a host. Both times I watched it, the audience always laughed whenever Janice is like, you said you wouldn't treat me different. And Linda's like, "Okay," and runs out. It always (laughs) is a laugh moment of just how happy Linda is. And I'm looking to pick these girls apart. I have to just say what a hard sell I am. Because when Janice limps her way to the window, I'm like, oh, that little actress is overselling the limp. But she doesn't. And she really wins me over when she is there feeling bad because the other girls are out there running. Something she could never do. She can't even go up the stairs, but they have that chair like from the movie Gremlins and things that gets her up the stairs. I feel for her. But... I don't know if this demon was ever really asleep. They're going to say that they haven't had demonic activity for about 12 years, but it's at this moment, almost instantly, that the demon slips a note under her door. And so it's like the demon was laying in wait and just couldn't get to the parents anymore. I was thinking the first time I watched it, Janice going into B's bedroom, which she had been told not to do, was the act that releases the evil. It's Reagan with the Ouija board. But really, the demon lures her there, unlocks the door, slips her notes. The demon is active already. Yeah, I think that's a mistake. I think that shows why this director, he just knows that he he's supposed to deliver a lot of jump scares. They've got to be afraid that this movie is slow moving and it's slow build. So he just couldn't resist having all these things really too early into the film. It should be that we understand that Janice unleashes the evil when she finds that key and opens the closet. And again, if they had done what I suggested and not had that prologue, some of this mystery could be just figuring out who these evil caretakers were, and that could be the suspense. But no, we already kind of know where this is going, and we know when she opens that closet, it's going to be Annabelle the doll. And that, to me, I feel like she should have unleashed the evil. It's a mistake to have the evil already walking around slipping notes. And the biggest question I had when we see Annabelle is she's in this closet and the walls are all covered in pages from a book. And I'm like, I'm really curious what book that was. I thought they were newspaper clippings. I thought that maybe they had been like religiously 
cutting out things about the trial of the guy that hit their daughter or stuff like that, fall out from it. That'd be a little weird. Hey, people are weird. It's a horror movie. Shit happens. Yeah, no, I know. I'm not saying improbable. I just, that's some strange scrapbooking you got. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, if you're grieved and... If you want vengeance. Yeah. It, it, but I don't know that these people look like they're blaming. I think they blame themselves. But I didn't know that they were Bible verses, I guess. I didn't, they didn't stay there long enough to explain it. Or to give us a hint, because I think if they would have shown us that it was maybe Bible verses or pages from the Bible, you would have been like, what the hell is that about? What's going on there? But instead, I just thought it, I made up my own story in my head because I didn't get enough of a look from them that I thought maybe they had cut out all the little things about what had happened to their daughter. See, my thinking is I don't care what age I am. I would be curious, why is this room wall papered with pages from a book? But they're going to keep it a mystery until almost the end of the film that they sanctified this place and defiled a bible and glued it to the wall i think that's you know a little bit of a bad thing but trying to make it a holy place it's verses from the bible and there's our annabelle doll and again i came in with the expectations of like a child's play movie but really even more than the first annabelle this is a conjuring film this is a film about possession and demons wanting to get into your body. And so when the scares start here with the doll, I have a lot of misdirects. I thought it would go a different way. I thought Annabelle would just be a killer doll. Yeah, I mean, I remembered the demon. I remember that being my big gripe about Annabelle was that the doll didn't move. I wasn't thinking that it would. I knew there would be a demon showing up. I think it's harder for me to understand I get that it's preying on someone that's weak physically, but spiritually not weak. I feel like it would have been more satisfying if it had gone after one of the older girls, one of the more cynical girls, one of the girls that wanted to have sex and was talking about boys and all of that kind of thing. She seems like she would be much more easy to corrupt. I agree. It I like the fact that they go for the little girls, though. It makes it more sympathetic. I actually want to see Janice overcome this demon, whereas if it was Nancy or Carol, I wouldn't give a shit. No, but you would care because an older girl coming after a younger girl and having influence on all the girls because she was the oldest is a powerful figure. And I guess what I'm really saying is I'd like a horror movie in which there was some psychological dimension in which characters talked. But no, this is definitely a movie about jump scares. It's all about setting up You Are My Sunshine records and dollhouses and just laying out all the little traps so that they can set them off at the right time. That said, as cynical as I am about those setups, I do think they have a lot of money in this movie, and I think this movie looks very good, and some of these setups are well executed. There's two camera shots that really got me, and they're so ostentatious as I didn't understand necessarily why. When the girls first arrive at the orphanage, we go like over the roof of the house and the camera turns upside down. And then there's another one where you're in the closet and the closet turns upside down. And I thought maybe they were doing the inverted crucifix as a sign of Satan. And then you pan down to what would be the upside down ceiling and you're looking up a well, a well that is ill-defined. There's two... I don't know if I'd call them red herrings or just bad writing in this film. The well and the scarecrow. Oh, really? The scarecrow? He did come alive and attack the older girl. But why? It didn't make sense, I agree. 
because the director is the director of Lights Out, and they said, why don't you do what you do in Lights Out in the scene in a barn later with light bulbs? And you know what? Why knock a movie when it all it has to offer are jump scares for having a good jump scare? The scarecrow is going to end up being, I think, a pretty great foe. I'd rather, I was more afraid of the scarecrow than the doll. I'll put it that way. I did like the way it moved. It just, that and the well both felt extraneous, not well-defined. I understood everything that was going on with the doll, but this well, it never really plays into anything. We're going to throw Annabelle down it later for no apparent reason. It's not a doorway to some grave or anything. I think there might be something in there. We'll get to the well scene, but uh, it has a different set of hands. The demon is very specific. When you see the demon, it will come in different guises. Sometimes it looks like a big inky black cloud coming out of the doorway. One time Janice is in the room and it looks like B. And then B turns around and says, I want your soul. And she's got demon skin and long tongue, classic demon look. But there are human hands that come out of the well later. I don't know if that was a storyline that got cut or whether we're just to understand that the demon can be anywhere and change into that. The doll that she dropped down just can turn into a human. I guess. I don't know. It's it's ill-defined is a good way of putting it. This is a movie about jump scares. It is not about psychology. It is not about clearly defining where the boundaries of evil and what it can do. As much as we saw the well... And the dumbwaiter. The dumbwaiter we saw less of than the well. I was surprised that the well wasn't a bigger part of it. Like somebody getting trapped in the well or something. Or something along that lines and trying to get out. Versus the dumbwaiter which ended up not being a very good scare I thought. You know I mean she got out of that pretty easily when she was trying to escape. And I I was kind of thinking the well would have been a dark great terrifying place. I mean there's nothing more pitch black than the bottom of a well. Except for possibly... The area under the stairs, which they set up as well. At one point, Linda's trying to hang out with the older, cooler kids. They say, play hide and go seek. You go hide. We'll look for you eventually. And she finds this place under the stairs. And there's this big red power button and a lot of cables. I'm like, what are they setting up here? They're just setting up. Annabelle's going to appear there and then be pulled back into shadow. And that area never really played off for all the work they did on this set i'm not sure that they made the best use of it and in fact the director did say that once he saw the set he started improvising like this is a cool area let's do this in here but it didn't get set up or ever pay off i'll give it this on the both viewings i found myself staring at blackness and actually pissed off at the lack of quality of the projectors because we just bought an OLED TV. And so I'm all happy about having true black on my 4K TV. And I'm staring into blackness that isn't really black in either movie theater. It was kind of a grainy, greenish black. And I'm like, I'm trying to make out things in the darkness and staring and the projector bulb is reflecting back at me. I'm really trying... The movie got me into it during these jump scares as I'm trying to see where's the demon because usually half the frame is black and I'm waiting for something to emerge from it. I can't tell whether you're complimenting the movie or shitting on the movie projection screen, but... Both at the same time. (laughs) 
Yeah, here's what I'm hearing and what I'm agreeing with. This is an awesome set. It's too bad they didn't have a script that better utilized it. That they have these little moments is fine. It's good enough to get you a jump scare, but wouldn't it be better if the house was haunted or that we could really make this a foreboding character instead of just kind of a waste of time until we break Janice by throwing her over the railing? And that scene is where things finally pay off. We're an hour into the movie. We've had various jump scares. The doll shows up. One of the better jump scares is, and this is a total Chucky move, Linda goes into B's bedroom with Janice and finds this, like, pop gun that has a ball on it that and a fishing line that you could reel it back in. And she accidentally shoots and hits Annabelle in the face with it. And that's always the don't fuck with the Chuck moment when you <laughs> screw with Chucky. He's going to pretend he's a doll and then come back and kill you. And she, when she's shooting that little racquetball into the dark and it pulls upward and then you see the doll... That's one of the better scares that I thought better paid off, but it comes to a head with Janice alone being attacked by this demon, and you start seeing the demon hands. We know that little Annabelle ghost said it wants her soul. She can't escape. She tries to get on the chair and go down, but the demon makes the chair come back up. She's yanked out of that chair. And then you just see a boot fall. I never knew she wore this, like, worker's boot, steel-toed thing on the polio leg. But you see it fall, and the second night, the audience was all like, oh my god, she's dead. And they didn't expect what I knew was coming, so I watched the audience. When that body hit, everybody in the audience just went, oh! (laughs) Best moment of the movie as far as audience reaction. They all thought they killed little Janice, and you spend an hour cheering for her. Yeah, that was shocking and brutal. And they also tell you she's not dead there. They hold the camera image long enough for her to kind of roll over and cough so we know, okay, if they were going to kill her, she would land dead. That would be the moment. But here, she's just injured. She's being broken down physically. She's not possessed yet. It's worth pointing out. She goes to the hospital, comes back. She is still not possessed. That seems like a mistake. That seems like she should have either died or the possession should have happened at this point. But no, the possession happens kind of in a weak way that she's taken out in a wheelchair. She can't walk at all now. She may never walk again. But they take her out in the sunlight because, you know, she's in this wheelchair. She, you know, they're trying to encourage her mood. And then she gets grabbed from behind. This spectral figure is pushing her into the barn I think that's the evil Mrs. Mullins, which, again, begs all kinds of questions about this demon. Is there an evil Mrs. Mullins? Yes. Sometimes it takes that form. We hear the ringing of the bell, and there's an actress credited for playing her. So, yes, there is, separate from the demon, there is a woman in black that uh, is pushing this wheelchair or pops her hands out of the well. I thought that this woman was a nun because I thought when you look up, you don't see a face, but I thought it was a habit. Earlier, Sister Charlotte was showing Mr. Mullins a photo of her with four other nuns, and there was this fifth spooky nun in the background, and she's like, oh, I don't know if I ever met her, so I didn't know if this was the nun from next year's nun movie helping the Annabelle demon. Valak? Yeah. Uh, Who knows? Who knows what they're planning and how much crossover there will be. I take it to mean that this demon can take forms, which is irritating because the whole conflict is that it needs a body. 
But if it can take all these different forms, why would it want to limit itself to one body? I think what it really wants to do is take down goodness. You notice it only takes down Christians. It doesn't go after people that are atheist or have different religions or leading a sinful life. It's always preyed upon modest, conservative, God-fearing folk. I, I guess that's why he's obsessed with getting this little girl because she's the most innocent and pure. And, and it pushes her basically into this barn. It's kind of where the dolls used to get made, dumps her on the floor. And that's where B comes to her and just vomits in her mouth, which that is not enough for possession in my mind. It, I thought that you had to give it permission. You know, that was the point. To have it just vomit in your mouth is weak writing. I agree that Previously, you did have to give it permission, but this is where I realized we're really in a Conjuring movie, very different than the last Annabelle movie. The last Annabelle movie, it wanted a soul, but it didn't want to possess that person. It just wanted to kill somebody. It wanted somebody to jump out a window. And so this time, when we're in a possession, I'm like, they really did go back to the original Conjuring film, all the way down to the vomiting in the mouth. I'm glad I re-listened <laughs> to our conversations about how gross it was to puke in someone's mouth. And that's the possession moment. Did that happen in that movie? I don't even remember. Yeah, it did. Okay. All right. So this is the MO. I'm going to see this again and again for as many Conjuring movies as they make. Yeah. And I think they think it's scarier that you can't fight it off. They want it to be like it could seduce you. Even if you don't want it to, it will possess you in the grossest way possible, vomiting black oil in your mouth. You know, I'm okay with something I can't fight off or there's no weakness for it. But I kind of just figured since this was the origin story that we didn't know the weakness yet. We didn't know that this is how you defeat Annabelle. We don't. Nobody defeats Annabelle. Yeah. Annabelle wins. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm okay with that. I still wish for more jump scares in this one because it takes a good jump scare to get me. Again, jaded and cynical. You got to really work to scare me. And I didn't jump once. And I'm still disappointed in that. I think if you were a young kid, it would be scary to think that your best friend got turned. I mean, here's where I think it's really going to work for that tween audience is that we've liked Linda and Janice together. And now Linda knows. They know as soon as they go into the barn, the wheelchair is turned away and Janice is saying, oh, I'm fine. She knows that her friend is not fine. And that's when she seeks help from Sam Mullins. And, th and we're starting to learn more of the backstory. And we get a kill, finally, a fatality is going to happen on screen. I was excited when I saw the showdown between Mr. Mullins and Janice. You know, he comes in and there's that note, found you. And I thought that was a good payoff for the notes that we've been getting this whole time. He left his daughter that note earlier. And he turns with the crucifix. And I'm expecting Anthony LaPaglia to actually do something now. I mean, I like Anthony LaPaglia. I really only know him from two things, Empire Records and his role as a drunkard on Frasier. But I liked him a lot in both. I'm wanting him to be more active in this film. And when he finally gets active, she's going to kill him with bending back his fingers. I wish that they'd done something practical there. The CGI made it so that I didn't even feel squeamish. Whereas if it had looked a little bit more real, I think I would have been like, ew. I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was an effective moment. I thought now that people are dying, this is up the stakes for this movie. We've had a lot of hide and seek and now we're playing tag or something. I mean, people are going to get knocked out of this picture. I didn't know how many, and I didn't know if they would be bold enough to whittle down this cast of young women. I didn't think he was dead because we saw the exact same thing with 
Janice, we see his body lying on the ground and he's a little discolored. But because Janice survived, I, I thought he would. But didn't you not see his eyes were like burnt or torn out or something there? And it was like Mrs. Mullins side of her face. I didn't on two viewings. Yeah, his eyes were all screwed up. And I took it as he was dead. I was disappointed he died because I like Anthony LaPaglia. But I was hoping he would at least stay and help the girls get out or something. Because Sister Charlotte really didn't do much. She was just kind of set decoration. Well, this is where it steps up. This is where we need her. We need a spiritual guide. Clearly, these girls could fall prey to a demon. But there is a, a strangely secular quality towards the end where, like, yeah, there's a lot of crucifixes around. We'll, we'll make that part of the decor, but we're not really going to have a movie that's a dialogue about faith. And, yeah, Sister Charlotte will end up levitating, get thrown against a wall, and be out of much of the climax, which is disappointing. But she does get the talky scene with Mrs. Mullins, who reveals the entire backstory. They just basically said, any deity that will give us our daughter back, we'll worship you. And that's where this demon came from. They summoned the demon accidentally. And then, like we heard from those three nurses, the demon asked if it could please inhabit the doll. And so they said, okay. <laughs> then things started to go bad. I have a question that uh, I'm trying to figure out again on two viewings. Esther Mullins, she's bedridden, and when they think that she had scared Carol and Nancy, Samuel says, my wife hasn't walked in a very long time. Does Esther Mullins have legs? We're going to see her hung on a wall, like crucified, and her entrails are hanging out, so I'm assuming she was ripped in half, but we never see where her legs went. Okay, but when she's laying in the bed, every time they go in there, you can see her legs, like see the outline of her body. Yeah, I thought I saw the legs separately, like across the floor. Maybe not. It was a very brief shot. I don't feel, again, it's not a movie that wants to linger on that kind of gore. So I take it to mean that she was a full-bodied person, that after she dispenses with all the backstory that we kind of already presumed anyway. I don't know that much was learned other than... Okay, so a demon took advantage of a situation, a grieving couple wants their child back, so it pretends to be that child, and then has a tea party in which it burns out her eye. And since then, she's just been hiding in the bed, too afraid. Why not leave the house, I guess would be my big question here, as far as their choices. I understand they opened the orphanage as penance. They thought they had locked the doll in the closet. It couldn't get to anybody if they didn't have the key, so why stay there? I guess they didn't have the money to move, and it's an awesome house. I guess that's it. Well, if they moved, the people who bought the house might go in the closet, right, and release the demon. They think that it's all attached to the doll, not the house, and whatever you do with that doll, it's going to release the demon. So by staying in the house but keeping it confined, they're able to live there and make sure for the rest of their life the demon is kept quiet then why not do what linda does and and dump the doll down the well yeah i mean, see i'm wondering the same thing i mean if something like that happened we'd be gtfo there's no question about it and i think that we would pour kerosene on the doll torch that fucker and then get out and it'll just keep reappearing because as we see, you throw it down a well, it comes back. You can't destroy it. But then we move and don't give her the address. <laughs> but they did move in the last Annabelle movie and it followed them there. I guess the point is you can't ever escape it. Remember, it sticks to you like gum on a shoe. 
Yeah, even locking it in the closet, clearly it's not in the closet. He didn't need to punch a hole to get out at the end because it was influencing things in the house and the dumb waiter shaft and it would open the locked door. So again, boundaries. I just need to know what the rules are for this demon. They're not very clearly defined because they want to have their jump scares whenever they want to create them. This director does not want to follow those rules. He just wants an excuse to do what he does best. These are 50 little internet shorts strung together and not a cohesive vision of evil. And that's my problem, is you get Janice with what looks like a butter knife. I'm guessing it's supposed to be sharp. I think it's what Mr. Mullins was whittling with earlier, but it looks like she's got a butter knife and she's stabbing people, but you're not going to take that butter knife and saw Mrs. Mullins in half with it. And then you get the scarecrow coming to life while janice is inside what are the rules here it's almost like the end of poltergeist but poltergeist had a lot of demons coming together and explained it was all these souls and so this film it's just wanting to be scary you're in a horror film there's no rules nobody's gonna die except the mullins i thought for sure the bitchy kardashian girl was gonna die because she gets trapped alone with the scarecrow that made me wonder, how many demons does it take to screw in a light bulb? Yeah, lights out. I think it's a great sequence. I mean, honestly, I can see why you insert it, despite pushback from logic. Nobody invited the demon into the scarecrow, but you want to have this scene because that scarecrow was really frightening. Yeah, I like that scene. I just... On second viewing especially, I wish I understood it better, but honestly, the Scarecrow is the best scary thing. You could have an entire spinoff for the Scarecrow that I might actually like. Oh, just you wait. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful what you wish for, Wishmaster. Haven't we had scary Scarecrows before, though, that come to life in movies? Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, thank you. But he is creepy looking, the way they put a bit of a face under that burlap sack over its head i just wish it didn't rip it off and then we see the ram the horny demon i like that too again i think that this is an effective moment but it's just not an integrated moment it's something from a different movie that they just decided they would give to the older girl and yeah why not kill her if this is an r-rated movie i'm surprised because they have a wide berth then to really wreak havoc here at the end But I think the problem is that we as adults just aren't going to fear a small child with a knife. We're just, you know, that is not a scary scenario. If you're young, you can imagine being overpowered by Janice. But here, we would easily be able to wrestle that knife away from her. She would not be able to harm us. We would spank her and we would throw her in the closet, no problem. Hold on, though. I have to interject here because I babysat for a girl that I'm pretty sure is a serial killer now. I mean, that was her career path, fairly certain. And she did chase <laughs> me around the house with a knife when she was six years old. And let me tell you, it is not that easy because they've got a knife. No, I mean, <laughs> and- you'll get cut. I mean, don't, don't get oh, me wrong. Yeah. The natural instinct would be to run from that situation because you don't want to get cut. But at the end of the day, back against the wall, I'm taking the six-year-old down. <laughs> yeah, she did end up... In a closet while I called her mother from outside the house with the cordless phone. However, it's not as easy as it appears. Luckily, this girl also was stupid. (laughs) And hopefully not a listener. No, probably not. (laughs) Certainly not a donor. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah, I mean, I think what we're saying is that there's a lot of stuff going on in this climax that individually taken... Not bad. Pretty good. They had the right amount of money, have good acting. I agree. I'm actually into the movie quite a bit. I've just, 
The story's bugging me, but I'm really liking the performances even of the Kardashian. Yeah, all of this works in that way, but does it work as a horror movie ending that, okay, it's just all over, that nobody died, that the nun and Faith didn't have a factor here? Should they toss a rosary around her neck and shove her into the closet and then flee the house? The house is doing that whole light up bad noise thing that makes me think it's going to like crumple in on itself like poltergeist and there will be no house, but... All that happens is all the light bulbs explode, and then the police investigate, and the rosary's on the ground. The doll is still there, and according to the priest, the doll is clean. There's no demon attached, which may be true? I don't know, because I think Janice and the demon are one now and escape through the back, and I'm expecting the film to end there. It really does get me, and I'm gonna give it a golf clap. For its unexpected ending and how it does tie into the original film. I guess. I mean, unexpected is correct. And again, I think I'm more than you two that felt there have been many turns where I'm like, oh, I didn't see that coming exactly. No, I did not know that they were actually going to try to justify Raggedy Ann. Yes. First of all, there is a Raggedy Ann cameo. We see somehow they ask... She's just a little girl. How far could Janice have gone? Well, she got far enough to get to another orphanage, and the Higgins come to adopt her and bring Raggedy Ann, which if you don't remember our previous podcast, the real Annabelle, somewhere in the Warren's Museum that you could pay to see, is a Raggedy Ann doll. Okay, I have a question, though. Could just random kids show up at the orphanage and no one would question it and they're like oh we'll find you a home honey i think that's exactly what orphanages were is children show up and say i have no mommy yeah and you know random film goers in the horror movie written in this way shouldn't ask those questions either yeah she just gets into an orphanage somewhere i thought she was teleported honestly it doesn't even matter like you know she could fly on the wind locust pazuzu but even though I just rewatched the first Annabelle film a couple days before, I'd listened to all three of our podcasts. I'm like, Higgins, Higgins, that's from a previous movie. Which movie was it? And I thought I'd have to go to my notes. No, it's going to spell it out. As we find out, this Annabelle is the Annabelle who joined the satanic cult and killed her parents. It was foster parents. We get to relive the best scene of any Conjuring film confused by this so maybe i need to go back and have an annabelle marathon god help me no i'm gonna tell you right now you don't need to do that <laughs> thank you whatever you're thinking let's just leave it here at this podcast so okay. what's the question I, mean, I thought that was just a random hippie then her blood spilled on the doll right well no it was always the higgins daughter okay i understand but it was a hippie yeah. and there was no inkling of demonic possession at the time that we saw correct i would like to just defend hippies by saying they aren't all blood spatter. no no i like know that killer. she was a manson family yeah cult of the ram whatever it was yeah, yeah she was definitely bad tripping pcp whatever they said it was a satanic cult right okay which didn't really end up being a factor to anything in fact this fixes a plot hole for us because we asked why that cult of the ram didn't come around to see what this human sacrifice had wrought, but maybe she got in with that cult, but she was the one who knew that she had to do the sacrifice. Here's the biggest trippy bit. So she gets adopted, and she grows up, and she apparently is a normal girl. She's even smiling in some photos. Yeah, it's worth pointing out, it looks like Janice. It doesn't look like B. 
No. It is Janice's body with a demon in her. But she's going to be the Higgins' daughter, and right next door to the house where she grew up, that Annabelle doll is going to show up because John gave it to Mia. Right. So that's a bit of a dink. When last we saw the Annabelle doll, a sheriff was throwing it in his trunk. Also, what's the waiting period for the demonic possession to act upon the killing feelings inside of it? I mean, if she was already possessed the whole time she's Janice and living with the Higgins, why the hell did she wait so long? Or did she have to get in with the cult to activate it? I don't get this. This is not a series that I've ever believed it's reality. I've always blanched that they've sold these as true stories. And I don't think that we are ever rewarded for looking for continuity and reasons why. Motive is not a part of this. You're either scared or you're not. And so, no. Yeah, they tie it all up by bringing iconography from past movies together here at the end. But no, I feel like they're just trying to still insist that the Warren's adventures are real and that that Raggedy Ann is really a part of it. And you are expected to be a believer of something that I don't believe in. They've never claimed the Annabelle films are real, to their credit. They're really only sticking to the Conjuring series proper as true stories But, yeah, there is no reason why here. I have the exact same questions. She survived for 12 years. She went to high school, got a diploma. Why does the demon want a diploma? Was it killing animals in the background? I don't know. But I just loved the hippie kill scene of the original Annabelle so much, I was happy to see it again. And to see it from the Higgins side when she comes in, hi, mom. I was happy to see the audience reaction as credits are rolling and they're playing You Are My Sunshine and what have you. We get extreme close-ups of the doll. What's it going to do? What's it going to do? It's playing that music box theme. What a cheese! Some old man stood up. I think he was a chaperone for some of the younger audience. But it's true. It's like that doll is not going to do nothing. At the very end... It almost looks like Annabelle starts to turn her head when they cut away, but I don't know if it's an optical illusion or if the head actually moves a fraction, but I do remember that guy shouting that. And if it did, so what? It moved its head a little bit? That's going to have the audience on its feet applauding? Yeah, I don't know what this series is doing. And we looked like the biggest Conjuring fans in the world, Stuart, you and I, because after that extreme close-up of the doll... Every other person left the theater but us. We're there opening night, first show, (laughs) and we are not leaving till the lights come up. And I'm glad we didn't because there is a second tease, if you can call it that. It's in Romania in 1952. A spooky nun walks down a hallway and the lights turn off behind it. Yeah, which would have been about five years before the movie we just watched. And I'm thinking that, yeah, Sister Charlotte will be returning along with that nun from Conjuring 2. Am I on the hook for that one, too? You are. Coming in 11 months. All right. Well, before we get to the nun, Marjorie, Stewart, how strongly don't you recommend (laughs) Annabelle Creation? I don't know. Stewart might recommend it. But Marjorie? You know, this is like horror movies. For people who can't stand real scares and they can't stand blood and guts and they just want to kind of go to the like the G-rated version of a good horror movie, I think that 
The scares and thrills are easily predictable. They're cheap. Perfectly fine taking your youngsters to this movie as long as you know they can handle being scared because that's about the level. It's about a 12-year-old scare. I don't think that these are inventive. I don't think they're doing anything that anyone's not done before. I think that they're executing it poorly and they don't really care about the story so much as trying to get the quote-unquote jump scares in because I don't think they're there. I saw everyone coming. I can't recommend this. I think you could save your, what, is it 15 bucks to see a movie nowadays? Ten nineteen Wasn't 3D prices. That's a very, very odd price. Stuart owes me 19 cents. I do. All right, well, <laughs> we're, we're good. But I think you could save your $10.19. It's not there. It's like so, not even junior high. It's like grade school horror. And it's not for me. It's an insult to my intelligence. It's an insult to your intelligence as a consumer. And I do not recommend these. Stuart? I want a soul. But I'll settle for atmosphere. I essentially am going to give this a pass on having a nice gothic mood. Everything you said, Marjorie, is true. It is for younger audiences that aren't as discerning, who haven't experienced as many horror movies as we have. But it's really well made. It's really well acted. I feel like this jump scares are pretty effectively set up. I can give it a recommend, but I'll admit I'm not passionate about it. I wouldn't watch it again, but... It would play better if I were with tweens. I think I would enjoy it more if I had experienced it with my nieces or my fake children. It feels like old Hollywood black and white horror movies from a different era. And I like that. I mean, I don't need it to be extreme in order for it to be effective and evocative. The thing I struggle with, and I don't think it will ever be resolved, is I want something more than a simplistic battle of good and evil. I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to get a better excuse than the demon just wants to get you because it's a demon. And to me, the best horror movies are ones that exploit real fears, things that I really, in real life, when I don't worry about demons coming at me, still worry about. I actually worry about it more in real life than I do in these movies. (laughs) (laughs) To me, this is a Justin Bieber song. You know, you might nod your head to it on the radio. I'd never buy it. Like, I get that it's catchy. And so I can give that a pass. I don't know if you just recommended this movie or Justin Bieber. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, I think both. And I'm on the fence. Here's what I'll say for sure. This is the best Conjuring film yet. It is. No, here's the thing. Which one's better? (laughs) I'm not saying it's good, but which one is better? I really enjoyed Fake Will Arnett and Vera Familia as Ed and Lorraine because they were a constant. I enjoyed their interplay with each other. I enjoyed... Just them. I thought they were great. I loved the period costuming they did. And they were fun to watch. Yes, I really enjoyed Janice and Linda. I thought that they acted well beyond their years. But they're not as likable, lovable, and getting behind them as Ed and Lorraine. Because I think maybe I might have enjoyed Ed and Lorraine's love story a little bit. You know, because they're a couple. But I don't know that it's the best one. Is They're all unsatisfying. Well, that's not being debated. What's being debated is, yeah, if it's the best one, is that good enough for a green arrow? I think it is for me. Hmm. Arnie? I'm so torn because the first time I watched this film, I found myself really into the first hour and the suspense and the puzzles and rolling my eyes what after the possession happened. The second time I found myself mo- more bored in that first hour and wanting more of the action like the second half had 
I'm going to go very weak red arrow because in the end, I just felt unsatisfied with this movie. I understand that people in my audience did love this movie. There's some nifty camera tricks and things. If this movie had had a tighter script and more logic around it and we weren't asking so many why questions, then I'd green arrow it even if I didn't enjoy it. But I think that it relies too much on jump scares and tropes and not being rewarding in its explanation. So weak Red Arrow, but yet still the best Conjuring film. Yeah, I I agree. And I think a lot of that should be attributed to this director. I think that, yes, we might miss Ed and Lorraine, or at least the actors that played them, but this is by far the best made. Even better than what James Wan did, I think. I hope that he stays with this franchise. I don't know who's making The Nun. I don't know who's making The Nun, but I know we're going to see this director again as he is making the DC comic book movie Shazam. Oh, okay. Running away from the genre. Okay, maybe that is the thing to do. Quit while you're ahead. Yeah, as long as you start with internet shorts and then they're going to give you a movie starring The Rock, take it. Although I think The Rock has actually moved on. He's no longer Shazam, but... I don't really even know who Shazam is, but... I don't either, but I was intrigued that The Rock is going to play Shazam, because I imagine The Rock would play somebody like Colossus in the Marvel Universe, but I don't know. I'm not a DC guy. The Rock was going to play Black Adam, who may or may not be Shazam, who may or may not be Captain Marvel. Wait, there's a Captain Marvel in DC? Yeah. And then he went by the name Shazam. I could wiki it, but we'll get to it in 2019. All right. And by then we'll have five more Conjuring movies. We got to get that Crooked Man, The Nun, A Conjuring 3, so many more. I'm very excited because I did read an interview with James Wan and there's no strong plans for Conjuring 3. What he said is, quote, the Conjuring films are still the mothership and the mothership needs to be strong. And all these other films are jet fighters that shoot out of the mothership. So they're still hashing out even what Conjuring 3 is going to be and bring back Vera Farmelia and Patrick Wilson. And then they're waiting to see what happens with Annabelle and Crooked Man. He says that they're working on it, but it's going to be a dark fairy tale. He wants each of the spinoffs to be its own subgenre. He says Annabelle is the haunted doll subgenre. I guess other than Puppet Master, Ginger Dead Man, and Chucky, it's a very small subgenre. I guess magic. Sure. Trilogy of Terror. Yeah. But the only one in production that actually is happening is The Nun and its next year. But with the way Annabelle is exceeding predictions, they thought it might make 15, 20 million. It's now on track as of this recording for over 40 million. They're going to fast track everything. I don't imagine there's anywhere to go with if Annabelle the doll has been with the Warren since the conjuring. We know the whole arc, right? There's no part of its history where we it'd have to break free, right? No, no. We said at the end of our Annabelle show that at the end of Annabelle, that doll was in a shop in California and it somehow has to make its way to the three nursing students on the East Coast. Yeah, that was me making a joke. I mean, like, who wants to see that? <laughs> Maybe she's going to hitch ride on, like, trains and be like a tramp, carry a little hobo stick. So it's going to have to remain a period film. I, I really feel like Annabelle needs to be in the present day for the next time. This period, uh, while I like it, I mean, I think it's cool, but I just feel like it, it tells us 
there's nowhere to go for this that they have to keep wedging it in between those two movies it just feels like there's no chance to do anything creative or unusual with it then see it's kind of like what they've done is they were painting the floor and they neglected to make an exit strategy and they're in a corner and they're stuck yeah exactly so yeah you're right we could focus on some other 1970s you know and end up on the dance floor at the disco i guess it's important to note every conjuring film is a period piece because it's talking about the warrens when they were young and vital yeah so we're never going to get anything in modern day at least not until Lorraine Warren actually dies. And then maybe they'll make a movie where Annabelle comes after three podcasters that, try as it might, can't really be won over, even if it did get a green arrow. <laughs> I, get, I broke the curse. And I don't feel that bad about it. Again, I saw the audience reaction. It's effective. Your problems are valid, but I don't think they overwhelm a competent movie. It's worth seeing if you want to see it. I just think there's better movies out there. I think we're going to get a better Haunted Doll movie this year because later this year we're going to be discussing Cult of Chucky. And I have no doubt, based upon how Curse of Chucky exceeded all my expectations and is one of the best direct-to-video horror films ever. That is just like some bombastic two statements you made there. I just want to throw that out there. Listen to our review. It was good. <laughs> I understand. But it's the kind of hyperbole they don't put on the box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be a great quote on the back. Oh, let me qualify this really heavily. It's the best direct of VOD I saw last year. But Cult of Chucky coming out this October. Anyone who donated the previous two donation drives, we did Chucky. is going to be getting that review. We'll also be having a playing level donation where you can get all of our Chucky shows this fall. I think that's going to be better. I'll say, though, Annabelle Creation is far better than maybe half the Hellraiser films we're going to discuss. <laughs> That is going to be our gold level. We announced it publicly last Friday. We're announcing a new movie review every day on Twitter and Facebook, really as a way of promoting, hey, you can see our schedule on our website. So for all the people who are saying, when will X review come out? We have a full schedule on our website. If you click to the right, you can see all of our Death Wish movies, the Phantasm films, that'll be our silver level donation, the Hellraiser films that are our gold level donation, all of our patron bonus reviews, Atomic Blonde, came out last Friday. And I want to give a shout out to Logan Kidwell, who recently became a $100 a month backer. Thank you so much, Logan. We greatly appreciate that support. Jacob Park, Anders Marup, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Thank you both for being at the $50 level. Thanks to all our patrons. You can hear our reviews of Atomic Blonde, Galaxy Quest, The Warriors, Coherence. And next month, The Legend of Hell House. Marjorie, you're joining me and Arnie to dive into a classic haunted house story. Yes, I am. And then in October, Jacob Stewart and I will be doing for patrons Get Out, which is not a haunted house movie, but I thought it was. <laughs> no, but it is a really good movie. I was a big fan. I wanted to get it on the schedule. I had a crazy beginning of the year when it was out theatrically and couldn't get to it. Plus, who knew? I mean, it's from the guys who made Keanu. Yeah. 
<laughs> haven't seen that one yet. Somehow not as enthusiastic. But also, let's not forget, on Totally Free Tuesday, next week, one of our most requested shows, and I don't know why, other than we just weren't doing our job. We had started a Philip K. Dick series many years ago, covering all the movies adapted from the famous science fiction writer. And no, we had not covered Colin Farrell's take on Total Recall. Well, we will. That problem is fixed for the next two weeks, we're picking up on Philip K. Dick as we creep towards the October release of Blade Runner 2049. There's some real irony because in our first Annabelle review, I end by asking the listeners, can we just put this series in a drawer and never pick it up like we did our Philip K. Dick series? And now here we are, we continue doing Conjuring films and we're doing the Philip K. Dick series. Yeah, we can't find a drawer that people want us to put old franchise. Take Transformers while we're at it, but... Yes, we may hit the pause button at certain times, but we eventually do get back to anything we ever started, and we will be doing that for the rest of August and then leading up to Inhumans and everything we have planned. Go check out the schedule. It's a lot of stuff. Whatever your taste, I think there'll be a movie there for you. And we're adding a new movie every single day, seven days a week. So thank you, listeners. Thank you, patrons. And thank you, Stuart and Marjorie, for conjuring up Annabelle with me. And until next time, it's over. You survived. You don't come out the other side of something like this weaker. What is there left to be scared of? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Pretty far out, isn't it? Yeah, it's groovy. You can hear more movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. In our archive section, you can find reviews of the Insidious films, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Saw, and hundreds more. Look what she made me do. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Sometimes when you get haunted, it's like stepping on gum. You take it with you. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. We got all the money tied up in this place and had a lot of repairs on top of that. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. I like your dogs. Now Playing's The Conjuring Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. But he's always sad. But I think something bad happened to him. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. It talked to me. It said that it wants my family dead. Now Playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, The Saffron Company, Evergreen Media Group, or Warner Brothers Pictures. The Conjuring films are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. We should talk to someone. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. The devil is the father of lies. Demons are his manipulators. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. We have to get out of here.
You did good. No, you did. Would you say Talitha, like Tabitha, only with an L? Sure. Who? <laughs> oh, Talitha. Yeah, Talitha. Talitha. Did you guys kind of feel like the 3D? Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, it wasn't 3D. Well, I mean, that was terrible 3D. I couldn't <laughs> believe how bad it was. And we jump 12 years later, which math then tells me is 1959. Wait, no. 19, 1945 to 1959, <laughs> 12 years later? You fail at math. <laughs> <laughs> and we jo- I, I wrote 1969 in my notes, which is the next 12 years. Okay, so it's 1957. Yeah. I did like the way it moved. It just, that and the well both felt extraneous, not well-defined. I understand the whole thing about the doll. Was that a pun? No. Do you know what you said? No. You said the whole thing about the well was not well-defined. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's not Sister Christian. What the hell? Charlotte. Can I not say fucker? No, you, you can. It's a rated R film. Okay. I think you could save your $10.19, and I think you could actually go buy Taco Bell and have a much better experience. Even Not with- really. Something but- scarier. Yeah, something <laughs> I definitely have a scarier experience every time I eat that chalupa. <laughs> Bring back Vera Farmelia and Patrick, not Duffy. Wilson. <laughs> Patrick <laughs> Duffy would love to come back to whatever, whatever zone he's fallen into. That would be awesome. They didn't even ask him for the Dallas reunion TV show. So we're never going to get anything in modern day, at least not until Elizabeth Warren actually dies in real life, and then maybe you can say Annabelle broke out and came after you. Is her name really Elizabeth Warren? No, it's not Elizabeth <laughs> As I'm like, when you say Elizabeth Warren, I don't think of it. I think it's Lorraine, right? It's yeah, Lorraine. It's Lorraine. <laughs> yeah.